so this week uh, is Friendsgiving. Also, we're entering into those Thanksgiving holidays, and so I've just been thinking back on some of those holiday memories from the past, on some of those great times of being together, of eating together, of like throwing the ball together, um, of sitting down to watch the big game together, the um, National Dog Show game, of course, which is the riveting part of Thanksgiving. If you're not in a dog show fantasy league, you need to get on that real fast. Um, but this week, I was thinking on an experience that I had, a, a wonderful experience a few years ago. In, in Louisville, the city a little bit to the south of Denton, there's a large community of refugees from Myanmar who settled in the city. And around the holidays, there's a group of folks who go and visit with the families uh, and, and provide decorations and help newcomers learn about holiday traditions here in the States and listen to their stories as well. And part of that is providing the families with a turkey as well as instructions on how to cook it, which is very important. We all need those instructions. And in Myanmar, they don't have turkeys. They have chickens and guinea fowl, but they don't have turkeys. They don't have anything near the size of a turkey. And so when you pull out a turkey, (laughs) it's like five times the size of the chicken. Everyone's jaws drop, and they're like, what is that thing? I knew Texas, everything was bigger here, but... Didn't realize this. And so the kids in the, in the community started giving a nickname to the turkey, and they started calling it, are you ready? Godzilla chicken. <laughs> Seriously. Which tells us a lot about our shared global culture. We don't know about turkey, but we know all about Godzilla, no matter where we're from. And it also really makes me want to see that movie, Godzilla chicken. Um, <laughs> But most of all, what that experience taught me was from the thankfulness of the families from Myanmar, these refugee families, as they began to express thanksgiving um, for the things, for safety, for refuge, for simply a place to be together in peace. Uh, Gratitude for all the people along their journey who helped them get to where they are. And they reminded us all of the sacredness and the interconnectedness of everything. The simple power of our relationships along our journey, especially those that we love and who love us, whether friends or family or our chosen family. And the profound beauty of gathering together around a table or wherever just to gather in a place where we can love and be loved. Our relationships with each other And the way we are bound together is so important. And Jesus teaches us that the most important practices in our life center around this. They're to love God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. At the center of everything comes down to this relationship and the practice of loving each other. It's what makes places like this of of open uh, so important. A place where we can love and be loved. Uh, and it makes our friends giving more than just a meal that we share, but a real expression of our connectedness. And it's also why I'll be hopping in a car to travel to Thanksgiving next week for 12 hours um, with two kids along the way because our relationships with each other are important. It's also why I'm charging iPads now as we speak because I want to love my family when we arrive there also, too. Relationships are important. And the importance of that is also why, as Crystal articulated, why for many of us next week is, it can be complicated or 
difficult and deeply personal. You can mute someone on Facebook, but it's really hard to do that across the Thanksgiving table. Um, But you can try. (laughs) You can. It's difficult and it's complicated, and we live in a world even beyond the table, a world swirling with complicated relationships where even the people that we care about can be intentionally or unintentionally hurtful can write each other off, can stop listening, assume superiority, or hide behind religion or ideology just to be uncool toward each other. And that's just in the fantasy dog league that I'm a part of, right? We know this. We've experienced this. Uh, But we also know that this is not the way that things are supposed to be, that there must be a different way that we are deeply connected and how we love and live together matters to each other and to ourselves. And that resonates with this way that Jesus taught and embodied and hands on to us. Jesus invited us to a different way that envisions and seeks to create a beloved community, a community amidst our diversity with love at its center that has as its central metaphor a common table around which we gather and find life. A way that says that God cares more for people than religion and tells us and gives us hope that our love for each other here and in every place matters. In our workplaces, in our friends group, in our families, at every table that we find ourselves sitting around, it matters, Jesus said. And perhaps, perhaps the way that we treat each other might matter most of all. And so here's what I mean. In Jesus' first public teaching, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out a picture, a countercultural picture of a different way, a way of life that leads to life with love at its center. And near the beginning of that teaching, Jesus gives this simple but profound instruction. And here's what he says. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. It says, so, and I love that Jesus, just to imagine Jesus talking like we do. So, everyone, so. When you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. And, and we don't really have like altar-y kind of stuff. This is not our context, but the heart of what Jesus is saying is this. He says, our relationships with each other are more important than church. If you're going to church and things aren't right between you and someone else, first go make it right. That's the most important thing, which is amazing. And let's just say, like, if we put that into practice, we would have to start open very late in the day. Um, Then that would just be waiting on me (laughs) to get all my stuff and relationships right. As I scramble to make things right, it would be a lot to put that into practice, right? But it would also be a lot of the right things. Our relationships with others, Jesus says, is not second to God, which is so freeing for us. And it's important because you may have experienced religion that didn't care how it treated people in the name of God and what effects the practice of religion had on people and on lives. And Jesus is saying to us, that ain't it, chief. That God puts people before even our relationship with God. God places right relation with each other, even before right relation with God. And in fact, the, those two things, our relationship with God and our neighbor and ourselves, are so deeply intertwined that it is hard to tell where one ends and the other begins. Love God, love neighbor, 
love yourself are three sides of the same coin, which makes it a pretty magical coin, truly. But all things are possible, right? We've got Godzilla chickens in our world. Anything can happen. We know this intuitively, that we need each other, that we are connected, and that when we live together well in ways marked by justice and joy and peace with love at its center, as we appreciate the unique gifts that each person brings, when we live together well, we flourish. We know this intuitively. As Dr. King wrote in Letter from a Birmingham Jail, he says this, in a real sense, all of life is interrelated. We are tied together in the single garment of destiny, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the way that God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. And he writes this as a call to action for all people to stand up for justice and equality in our world. And to quote the Mandalorian's little friend, I have spoken. Right? Streaming now on Disney Plus, in case you're so. It's beautiful. It's just a mic dropping moment. But in our world, honestly, it seems like that garment of mutuality is torn or frayed so often. And so what can we, as people who seek to follow a different way, what can we do about it? How can we join the heart and the work of divinity that longs to see reconciliation and love of neighbor grow like a mustard seed? Well, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching of Jesus, Jesus is listing off kind of the character of the beloved community, and he makes this, this beautiful blessing statement. He says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called children of God. In some way, we are most living into our identity as children of God when we are part of making peace in a frayed world. When we are making peace, when we are at work for that thing that perhaps God puts above all other things, right, just, restored relations, humanity flourishing together, when we are doing that, that's when we're about the family business. And so a couple things about this word peacemakers that's in, that are important to notice, I think. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peacekeepers. And there's a difference, right? It's not about going along just to get along or keeping quiet in the face of injustice and oppression. It's not that. It's certainly not about making peace with wrong. It's not about peacekeeping. It's peacemaking pursuing the things in our world and our relationships that lead to peace and removing the things that lead to conflict and making something new and life-giving from the soil of what is. See, in Jesus' time, in, in his view, peace was more than the absence of conflict. It's not just mimosas on Malibu kind of peace, although that's something, right? But it was best, best understood as something positive, it was shalom kind of peace, as we've said before. That Hebrew word for universal, holistic, flourishing. A vision of all people amidst our diversity and perspectives, flourishing and growing as they are in all they are. That is the kind of peace, universal, holistic, flourishing. That's the kind of peace that God is making in our world. And so peacemaking, not merely peacekeeping, but also not peace 
finishing either. He doesn't say blessed are the peace finishers. And I, I love that. Here's what I mean by that. Making is an active, creative, in-process word that invites us into a journey, a journey that is ongoing as we make peace in our world. It invites us into a journey into simply taking the next step in our relationships with others. And the good news in God is that the next step is possible for all of us. That's the hope that we're called to, that no one is beyond a next step. Now, the way of Jesus isn't blindly optimistic to those next steps. It is deeply realistic. We follow in the loving way of Jesus who transformed the world, yes, but who was also executed by the intersecting powers of state and religion. The way of Jesus is deeply realistic about human nature and about the systems of power and brokenness in our world. It's realistic, yes, but here is the profound vision and hope. It is not dualistic. Meaning, people are not all good or all bad in binary kind of ways. No, each of us are an amalgam, non-dualistic, not either or, but both and. And our hope comes from the fact that on this journey, all of us can always take the next step toward goodness and life and shalom. And the good news is always about that next step in ourselves, in our neighbors, in our relationships. We are realistic about where we stand, but our hope And our optimism comes from the fact that no matter where we stand, that the next step is possible for all of us. And so Thanksgiving, for instance, the hope is not to finish the journey of peacemaking, but to take the next step. Whatever that is, with your family or with your friends or with yourself, maybe the next step for you is just trying to like cranberries this year a little bit more. Whatever that next step is, making a little bit more peace than there was before. And to that end, there is so much that we can do on that journey. So this guy named Paul, who came after Jesus and kind of interpreted this Jesus way into the context of his day, he writes this letter to a diversely affiliated church in the capital city of Rome. And he's writing to them about how to live together. He says this amazing thing. He says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I love that. I absolutely love that. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone because so much is possible and so much depends on each of us. This is a high calling because there's so much that each of us can do in our world and in our relationships, yet there's also so much that we simply cannot control. So much that depends on someone else. And when we live from the unassailable fact that we are beloved children of God and begin from that place, we realize that we can do so much, but there's also things that we cannot do. But the beautiful and powerful thing is that someone else and their journey, it doesn't even depend on them alone either. Just as God is at work in your life, God is at work in the life of the someone else's in our life as well. And realizing that it doesn't only depend on us means that those times when we take space, we step away, doesn't mean that we're turning our backs, but maybe even trusting the God who is at work in ways that we may never know in every life to make peace. And so know this, not all is for you to do. Not every relationship 
is safe or healthy to even engage with. And so this call to be peacemakers is a call to be a part of a larger story that involves so much more than just us, thankfully. And creating boundaries is not about pulling away, but instead about finding the right place where peace depends on us and realizing the places where it does not. And to trust in that, that just as God is at work in our lives, loving us and transforming us and calling us toward the next step, God is at work in our neighbor as well. Even that neighbor or friend or family that we are thinking about right now, God is at work in their life for love and transformation as well. The deepest forces in the universe are about that work, and we are invited to play a part, yes. But sometimes our part is to trust in that and to step away and simply say, bless her heart and mean it as best we can. So much depends on us, but thank God we all depend on so much more. And we have an example in this, fortunately, of boundary setting by Jesus himself. Jesus didn't respond to every comment or field every question. Sometimes he even turned notifications off on his phone, I'm pretty sure, along the way. Because there's this one amazing story where he's been with the crowds for a long time, for a while, and it's all just a bit much. And so he tells his friend, let's get on a boat and go. Um, Sorry, not like get on a boat, Lonely Island style. Um, It was Jesus style still. But they get on a boat and they sail across the lake just to get some space from the pressing crowd. He set boundaries. And it's important to set boundaries and know yourself. It may not be the right time. You may not have it in you in this season. And that is okay. But be clear about them know them, and always have a boat ready whenever you might need it to go. So, but, but when we do choose to act, Jesus invites us in the different way to let love be our guide, to trust the journey, and to have faith that the next step is possible in every life. So a few weeks ago at an event that we had here called Real Talk, y'all, that we have uh, every month, we have this group conversation about different topics. We're having a conversation about talking with people, particularly people that we love who see things differently than us. That's the mild way of saying it. And it was an amazing, just so so, um, rich conversation. And it went on for about two hours. (laughs) And so I can't summarize it all here, but I I learned so much that I carry with me through that conversation. And uh, our friend Crystal was there, and she shared some wisdom that she has learned from navigating dynamics in her own life. And this week, uh, I asked Crystal to tell me what she said that night again. And it probably wasn't the exact same list as that night, but it was amazing again. (laughs) And I don't know how she does that just every single time. But I took notes, and I think I'll probably fail to capture everything. So if you want to know more, please talk to Crystal. But some of what she taught me was about this. Um, She said, first, go into these conversations with open hands and a sincere heart and true kindness. Trust that the next step is possible for all of us. And if people seem open to taking that next step or to engaging in real conversation, then take the opportunity. But if not, if they're not open to that, it's okay to pass. Be free in this. You are not responsible for your family's or others' opinions, but you can help sometimes. And sometimes you are uniquely positioned in relationships to help in ways that no one else can. But also, sometimes the dynamics in our relationships are such that you aren't the right person, or it's not safe or healthy for you, and that is okay, too. And when you talk, when you engage in these conversations, do not use Scripture as a weapon. 
And don't let it be used that way against you as well. People use the Bible to end conversations in our culture, but really the scripture library is there to begin a conversation that leads us to love. And so let that be the center of everything. As we said before, have boundaries. Know those things that you can't talk about and know your limits and be clear about them and simply say, you know, I I can't really talk about this today and be open to the limits of those around you as well. And fifth, it's super important when someone crosses a line for you or for someone you love, say so. But say it not to win, but say it out of love and compassion. But be clear. And let it be a sincere conversation only. Ask questions and listen. Be curious. Don't volunteer your opinion unless someone invites you to and wants it. Let it be sincere. Only have the conversation if people are sincere, if the opportunity is right. And if not, say, I'd love to talk with you about, about this sometime when we can really talk. Let's get coffee and be ready and open when the time is there. And remember that it is a journey. And often change comes through relationships. And so if you are able, if it is possible, above being right, lean into being right with each other. Change often comes through relationships. And so trust that the God who is at work in justice and joy and peace is there in your relationships with you as well. And above all, remember that you are a child of God dearly loved, and you can do so much, but you don't have to do it all, and you don't have to do it alone. That our God who is with us is with you, that this community is with you as well. As Crystal said a few weeks ago, this idea of like loving our enemies that Jesus invites us to consider seems impossible. I can't do that. But she said that when I'm in here, in this community, with you, with all of us, I believe maybe that I can. Because we're in this thing together. We are doing our best in this community to put into practice real love and and to seek peace together and to grow in that together and in our larger community. But also on this journey, we are here for each other, listening to and encouraging and empowering each other, strengthening each other, sharing wisdom, Sharing a compassionate shoulder, sometimes just like sharing a boat together when we need to get away. We are in this thing together. And when Jesus hopped in that boat, he hopped in with his people, with his friends, and those who were at work for good in solidarity with him. They were in it together. And in places like this, we work together, and we work for each other. But we also have the ability to point each other amidst the complexity of life to the profound and powerful simplicity that lies at the heart of it all. The profound, deep simplicity of love, of justice and joy and peace. And together in places like this, we might even catch a glimpse of a different way that is possible for us. So I use those words, simplicity and complexity, um, thinking of a, of a peace worker named John Paul Lederach, uh, who does incredible work in conflict areas around the globe. He's worked in Colombia and Belfast and Tajikistan and Uganda, among many others. Um, but he started this practice amidst incredibly difficult and complex mediation situations. 
where amidst that complexity, he tries to find the simplicity at the heart of it, even if it's just for himself. He refers to it as seeking his haiku, looking for that simplicity that captures and rests at the heart of complex situations. And in his practice, he's actually begun to try to write peace haikus as he's out in the field, a spiritual practice to capture the simple, profound heart of our complex lives. So a while back, he was actually out in Myanmar working with some of those people groups of the refugees in Louisville. Uh, in Myanmar, among the conflict of different ethnicities and people groups in the very mountainous regions in the north of Myanmar, he worked with a community of local mediators, of peacemakers, who would travel to mediate between the two groups travel across and around and through the mountains. And sometimes the journey that they would embark on would take them two or three weeks to reach the other camp. And they would go back and forth and back and forth, believing and trusting that a next step was possible. And that step by step, next step by next step, that peace was possible on this journey together. And they would do what they could to make it little by little. And so amidst the complexity of that circumstance, John Paul wrote this haiku of peacemaking. He said, don't ask the mountain to move. Just take a pebble each time you visit. Fellow mountain movers, peacemakers in this world, that is the simplicity amidst the complexity of this journey. The simplicity of love in the Jesus way. The love of God can move mountains, but so often it happens pebble by pebble. And so we, in this community, in the strength of each other, the empowerment of the love of God and the faith that a next step is possible insofar as we are able May we be peacemakers in our world, moving mountains, next step by next step, pebble by pebble. Let's pray together. Gracious, loving God, who is at work in each of our lives and in our world, for justice and joy and peace, for universal, holistic flourishing. God, thank you. And thank you for the life that we find in you and in each other, in our community, and in your love. If that love calls us to open up, to be a part of a larger story. And so, God, may we be peacemakers who move mountains that seem impossible to move, pebble by pebble, love by love, choice by choice. May we choose to be makers of peace. Give us the courage to speak clearly and stand up. Give us the courage to listen. Give us the courage to love. We cannot do it in our own strength, so thank you for the community. But most of all, God, thank you for your empowering love. 
that has moved us. So may we make peace in the places that we go. We pray this in your name.